Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. Hi, Daniel. I'm calling to talk about your extended car warranty. Would you like to talk about your extended car warranty? I would love to. Daniel, would you like to talk about your extended car warranty? Yes. Can I can I leave a message for you about your extended car warranty? I mean, I can write it down, I guess. <laughs> what even is an extended car warranty? Like... What are the what does that string of words mean anymore? I don't know. I've never gotten past this part, so I have no idea what comes next. So yeah, every time the messages, it's like the second you press like you want to listen to your message, extended car warranty, and then bam, sorry, claw, <laughs> hanging up, calling on, trying not to get those calls no more. I just I wish I wish I wasn't so popular in India. I don't know. Wish they didn't. Wish they didn't listen to Cinematic Doctrine in India, so that they didn't call us anymore about our extended car warranties. Do they listen to Cinematic Doctrine in India? I don't actually know, but I remember talking to Chris Darren, and he said he, like, there was a podcasting group he was a part of, and someone in the group linked, like, "Hey, here's a couple Indian podcast apps you might as well toss your podcast into because why not?" And then he did with Truce, and then like the Indian numbers skyrocketed, and he suspects it's because like no one's putting their their podcasts in these apps <laughs> and so it's just like it's like this just open ground when i asked him like where where'd you get that and he's like oh it was like three years ago <laughs> it's like, so i'm like man that's like that sounds like a hidden resource like the podcasting gold rush to try and get your show in in india i mean obviously they have like itunes and well it's not itunes anymore what is it called like just apple podcasts but like specific apps i don't know but yeah, stop calling me about my extended car warranty, please. I beg you. It doesn't cost me anything, but it does at the same time. Cost you time. Cost me time and a cortisol hit in the brain and the lower back because cortisol pumps into the lower back. If you got lower back pain, you might be stressed. So anyways, uh, that's, that's it. That's what I had for this episode. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. We appreciate you checking out this episode. You can hit that like and subscribe button. I like to think that you have that like, cold open in your back pocket. Like, oh man, when we get to that one, that's going to be super funny. 
Can I tell you something? We're gonna go back and I forth. I actually did. And, yeah. <laughs> like, like, Dan's gonna Dan's gonna be laughing so hard. We're gonna have to stop the recording. And... I have accepted that you don't find any of my jokes funny, <laughs> <laughs> and so like whenever I go into something, I'm like, that's why. Like whenever I get you, it's like it's awesome. <laughs> I've like, been nice. told that. I've been told that like it's so it's such a good feeling when you actually laugh at something I say. <laughs> well, it's also because you're really funny. Like um, I oh. listen to the Escapist podcast for a lot of my video game news, and Yahtzee Crenshaw, who does the um, zero punctuation yeah zero punctuation which is ridiculously crass sometimes but like he himself is not crass that's very he's much very he's very funny very funny deadpan guy yeah. and in a couple episodes of the escapist some of the questions they get asked are related to like how did you train in comedy and he's like i just watched a lot of it and then sort of like i observed it i tried to figure out what was funny in particular so it was the exact opposite of Joker in Todd Phillips's Joker, <laughs> where it's like he's sitting down just laughing at the wrong times, like taking notes. Like uh, sexism is funny, <laughs> like it's not what he's doing at all. But like he doesn't, he does jokes all the time, doesn't laugh all the time. But there have been a few times with this one guest that they've had that just gets him, and it's just like he has that. Who's, who's the guest? Perfect. I'm trying to remember. It's like Mark something. It was in the last two or three episodes because. The lead editor for Escapist, Nicolandro, he's been busy, I guess. I don't know. I don't I'd I'd like to read more of this stuff because I listen to their shows a lot. But he's just been it's like you know when you listen to a podcast and within the yeah. first ten minutes there's a joke. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's right. You listen to <laughs> you just exclusively make podcasts. You never listen to them. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> I've I've found I have legitimately started listening to fewer and fewer podcasts as time goes on just because I don't have time, time, but also it's just like the weird thing about podcasts is it definitely becomes like a comfortability thing where you like you just like the the it's like putting on a warm jacket of like hearing the same voices again. Yeah. And so I'm finding it's mm-hmm. harder and harder to branch out and find new stuff. But then the stuff I used to listen to, either the shows stop or they just have a huge dip in quality. Yeah. But yeah, he, he just has this old man laugh whenever someone catches him. And it's I, just, I, can, it's, I can I can picture it. Um, did, have you heard his pitch, Ben Ben's pitch, where he legitimately almost wrote the Duke Nukem Forever? Um, he he's mentioned that he had a pitch for a Duke Nukem, and it was like, I think he said because it was like a, two or three weeks ago it came up again, and he talked about it was supposed to be like an ironic take of like something about like Duke Nukem's daughter became sort of like a neoliberal, and then had he had to like savor or something but then all of the jokes that are duke nukem s never really land because the world sort of moved beyond duke nukem 12 year old potty mouth jokes i can't remember what it was it was something like that yeah where it's almost like it work is almost a critique of how much duke has like aged specifically duke nukem has aged so poorly yeah versus what the actual product was and it's just like whoa duke duke was back baby like he has not changed a bit which partially is what sealed the fate of that game to being like terrible. Interestingly, he had one of the more milder, somewhat, I wouldn't say positive money chance stretch, but like he had one of the milder reviews of that game when it came out where I, I could tell her broke his heart that the game came out so poorly. Yeah. Where he was just like, at least the game has personality. It was like one of the things he said, but he knew it was bad. Yeah. If it, well, that's even when he when he talks about the original games. He's like, it doesn't age. They don't age well. And the whole real thing that kind of pioneered them as popular was they had personality, whereas all other games were sort of the same. 
you're going to you're going to kill Nazis, but they're also robots <laughs> and you're going to kill demons, but you're also on in space. And it's like Duke Nukem was like, you have a shrink ray and you can kick things <laughs> like that's that's pretty cool uh, or a freeze gun and you can knock them over. So like, yeah, I, I totally get that. But yeah. yeah, all the comedies to like, like it's the sort of thing where like, I think I remember um to make it to make it relevant to at least movies. If you've ever listened to um, Mark Kermode, when he talks about pain and gain from um, Transformer, Bay, uh, Michael Bay, he the way he sort of lights that movie up is like, it's the sort of thing like a 13-year-old likes when they think that they know what adult things are. And like, <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, ah, uh, yeah, violence, sex, mean, being mean to women, <laughs> and like, just like, uh, oh, and working out and stealing money. <laughs> and it's like, that's that's sort of what Duke Nukem is. Is like when you're 13, you're like I I demand to be taken seriously, like the uh, Magicians Alliance and the rest of development. Right. <laughs> it's just like, no, you still got a couple years, buddy. <laughs> At least with Pain and Gain, you get the sense that Michael Bay hates these idiots. Like I don't know if you've ever seen Pain and Gain. Well, that's because he hates humanity, so right. it makes sense that those idiots would be included in that. <laughs> like. But like, yeah. Did you see Pain and Gain by any chance? I didn't. I I don't really like Michael Bay as a director anyway. Yeah. What's interesting about Pain and Gain is you can read the film as him making a pair, like almost like a self parody, but it's like a Michael Bay film, like taken to its almost like ludicrous extremes where it's like these big, dumb meathead characters running around just being like the dumbest, most least sympathetic characters you could possibly think. So like there's been some like reappraisals of that movie where it's like, this is Michael Bay just giving the middle finger to his own audience for a couple hours, which makes the movie kind of interesting. Like I would, I I don't know if I'd ever could go so far as to call the movie good (laughs) in any traditional sense, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely one of his most, it's the most interesting thing he made like since he started like doing transformers types of movies for sure it's it's so strange well because then all he did was transformers yeah yeah but then and then he made movies where it's like michael bay is gonna blow a bunch of stuff up and that's just kind of yeah. became his thing yeah versus like there used to be something like resi- I, mean, I guess he's still an auteur in the sense that you can always tell when you're watching a michael bay movie yeah bad editing aspect <laughs> ratio changes all the time your eyes get sore big yeah big yeah. swooping cameras like ton like special effects overload everything looks like a tornado just went through like a junkyard yeah is like the design it's the thick of everything and like pain and gain is kind of like his i don't know indie heart indie art flick well it's like he (laughs) it turns everything down you get this sense he holds his own audience in such contempt where he knows he's making garbage and he kind of dis you get the impression that he dislikes the fact that the garbage he makes is so popular even though i also get the sense that he thinks he's a genius apparently though like he's really great to work for like i don't know if you've ever heard that but part of why he always has these like big casts with all these like name actors like award-winning like respectable actors is he's just a great guy to work with well anthony hopkins is for some reason in the transformers franchise so. yeah and they all see yeah. it's like they like hanging out with michael bay he's, he's like the adam sandler of directors just everybody likes him yeah <sighs> i wonder if michael bay likes malignant I think I think he incredible, would like the last twenty tra- incredible minutes. Incredible transition, just I know, right? Not even great. try. This is why 
this is why we we don't listen to podcasts or we're listening to less and less over time because we're getting sick and tired of bad transitions. They're affecting us. Or maybe we're just a part of the problem. I would say that that's more a problem of us than other podcasts. <laughs> Definitely. I will I will apologize because we, we, we sat down to – we were going to review. So for those who don't know, Melvin's not online and he gets all of his news from our one friend John in a signal chat. <laughs> It's really true. It's so true. Shout out, John. John <laughs> gives like sometimes half accurate <laughs> like <laughs> descriptions of things. Well, not even just half accurate descriptions. Like even yesterday, he posts like comments to a post. And then I'm I respond back. I'm like, but what's the post? <laughs> like, I don't know the context of this thread. <laughs> and then he gives it to me. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> like it's it's awesome. Or or he'll just like say say like a half heard rumor and just like report it back as like fact. Like uh, it's great. <laughs> what do you say? He says something like, "Did you know that this is happening?" And you're like, "For real?" <laughs> And he just never responded and moves to the next thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, for the record, I get newsletters in my email. I listen to a decent amount of news podcasts. And that's not just news news, but like other media. So I'm in the know. But when it comes to like fandoms and communities, some of the two worst places to be in on the internet, if it's not just actual dark web stuff, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Oh, so just to give people a rundown, John sends a... Uh, headline that says virginia teen dies after summoning ancient haitian voodoo god papa legba which he follows up with we're getting a live action marvel zombies movie (laughs) what's going on (laughs) i mean you run the gamut of being in this group but i'm like oh my gosh my emotions i have to use some dbt just to calm down but i'm interested (laughs) in both i'm like whoa (laughs) but all that to admit not just to talk about our mutual friend john who just periodically will message me about wrestling news it's you you aren't really in tune necessarily with like film Twitter or yeah film Twitter what's yeah. buzzing. So we were setting up to watch Candyman, and then like pretty much the moment we were like, all right, Candyman's our next review. Suddenly Twitter just started exploding with people talking about this movie Malignant, and I didn't really see what the reason was. I just started seeing like rumblings of like you got oh man, this is gonna be the one everyone talks about, and so like you mentioned like. 30 minutes of review Candyman. I was like, by the way, we should probably review Malignant. And you're like, uh, okay. Uh, I already got tickets for Candyman. But yeah, you had okay. already decided you already paid money for Candyman. And like for context, like I often am just the guy who just throws names out there. And so you're just like, okay, sure, whatever. And then a few days later was when you'd seen it and you were just like, we have to talk about this movie. We have to talk about this movie. We have to talk about this Guys, movie. I literally, like, I'll do double features almost all the time, and I was kind of itching for another one. And I was like, yeah, horror double feature? That'd be great. So I switched my tickets around. I was going to see Malignant first, and then I was going to see Candyman after. And I'll just tell you right off the bat, I wish I did Malignant second, because a later showing would have had more people. And I just would have loved to just hear the theater during Malignant. Yeah, uh, which, you know, we'll get into as we talk about it, because it's... It's just crazy, but yeah. And uh, apologies if my energy levels are relatively low. I'm not feeling well today, but it's just like we cannot put off talking about malignant any longer. Like this needs yeah. to get out of our system. So, um, do you want to sum up the movie? Or, wait, is the call to action? I shouldn't take control. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> we always do the call to action after we introduce it because if people skip to the introduction, they can still get our call to action. Oh, genius! Yeah, do what I can. Malignant is just pulp 
pulp horror. It's just fun. This is the sort of thing where like your your friend, your mom who reads Dean Koontz all the time. This is like the equivalent of that stuff, which well, I'm just going to start off. I think James Wan is kind of that as a director because Saw hit the, you know, the, you know, you guys, you know about Saw, right, Dan? <laughs> I it wasn't clear if you're talking to me, the audience. I definitely am familiar with the concept of the film franchise Saw. Yeah. <laughs> So for a lot of people who have not, especially for our Christian audience who has not tuned into Saw because of it being a gore fest later, the first movie, the first movie is not a gore fest. It is just a good cop drama with like a really grimy kind of stuck in a disgusting bathroom vibe. And it's very pulpy. And I watched it. I was like, my mom would love this. So I bought it for her for Christmas. And she loved it. So yeah, he from the start, he's got that aesthetic. And even the Conjuring movies feel that way as well. They feel very pulpy. They feel very fun. James Wan being asked to direct Aquaman made complete sense because his horror movies feel that way. They feel they're just basically the same kind of excitement, fun, thriller stuff, just with more, you know, scary stuff. Right. And um, they're never even all that and malignant included in this, I would argue for about 80% of the movie is the same kind of aesthetic of just what's something kind of creepy that's normal, which I remember reading years ago that James Wan to get a lot of his creepy scenes, like to, to, to create them, he'll walk around in his house in the dark, like at night and just sort of like, if something gives him a chill, he'll write it down. It's just something that his mind does. And so that's why in, in Conjuring One, the the trailer scene that still catches everybody in the movie when um, there's the clapping in the house and then he goes, she goes to the basement and it claps right next to her. One of the best, the whole clapping Oof. sequence is one of the best horror sequences last like 15 years. Yeah. And he, and he just consistently kind of does things like that. I mean, Conjuring Two again, just like several scenes in Conjuring Two are just, just fantastic painting scene great crooked man mm. even just the con- the creation of the crooked man to when he's revealed is just all of these really effective <laughs> he just has some really good uh inspiration when he walks around at his house at night so yeah i would just like his that makes i did not know the walking around his house thing but i always will comment on james wan's understanding of geography and how it ties love into it. fear love yeah because he creates a sense of familiarity um he sets up like the parameters for where characters can be, how things should be. And so he sets his own baseline and then he messes with it later. It's great. It's part of why Conjuring 3, which uh, we didn't even talk about on the podcast, but it's totally fine not to. That movie doesn't really have location and geography to it. Whereas the first two Conjuring movies, it's a house. Yes. (laughs) Maybe some of the primary outside of it. He loves haunted houses. And, um, And so pulpy, like James Wan is a pulpy, creative I would argue even down to earth kind of horror guy. He he really connects with what's just scary, and typically it's never too too far and beyond. And um, then comes in uh, an Entertainment Weekly interview that I saw on Letterbox, where he's quoted saying, "But sometimes you just get tired of making PG thirteen movies." <laughs> and in comes Malignant, and so the premise of Malignant, which the trailer just gives enough to get you creeped out and interested, is. A woman, essentially, when she falls asleep or during periodic times, becomes basically like totally still, can't move, and then the world around her transforms and she witnesses a murder. And then it turns out that murder actually happens. And the film kind of continues forward with this premise as the police become involved because there's a serial killer on the loose. And beyond the trailer itself, as the movie sets itself up, 
We're introduced with the scene in a hospital, a psych ward, in which there's some sort of Akira-esque figure that seems to be very powerful, um, seems to be very much in control of electricity they introduce, which is just a nice pulpy addition because it's never really <laughs> talked to. It's, it's used in the movie, but it's just never, there's no reason for it. It's great. And um, this figure is very strong and powerful. And the leaders of this particular psych ward are just decide, nope, this person's too powerful, whatever this creature thing is, and we need to just kill it. And you get your very just pulpy is going to be the word of the day. Very pulpy line. It's time to cut out the cancer as we zoom in on the on the doctor and, and then the, the and credits. The audience roll. just gets up and pumps her fists and it's like, yeah, it's like it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's exactly where you get the whole. Yeah, this guy directed Aquaman. Like this is he he just knows what's cool and he makes it work. Even though it's also a little cringy, which we'll definitely talk about with this movie because man, is the editing weird? Yeah, and the music weird. Then then we meet up with the woman who, of course, is the woman who's having these dreams and nightmares. And we see that she's in a domestic, uh, uh, a horribly, uh, horribly bad relationship with her boyfriend or husband. They never really clarify. Um, maybe they did, but I don't remember. It's it's kind of insignificant. They're, they're pregnant together. That's the they're pregnant part. together and he's abusive. And they have a fight and she locks the door on him as she's bleeding from her head. And it's actually just a tone setter I was not expecting um, for the movie. But the movie's pace is very quick in the first 30 minutes. You're just sort of being thrown into different things. But the following night, she has her first experience of witnessing a murder. And it ends up being her husband slash boyfriend. And so begins the rest of the movie. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Hey, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You want me to... expand Cinematic Doctrine. You know this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as low as $3 a month, you can gain access to exclusive content like The Pre-Show, which features free-form and Christian-friendly discussions on all kinds of topics, as well as influence the podcast. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Previous movies our lovely Patreon supporters have chosen are To All the Boys I've Loved Before, Hamilton, Onward, and American Gospel Christ Alone. Huh, you guys have good taste. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. I, I'll say, though, with this movie, with Malignant, I went into it going, all right, I'll just make sure I catch it because we might talk about it with the episode. And then as I'm watching it, I'm going, man, I don't think this is James Wan's best because a lot of the editing choices are weird. 
the way they introduce plot points is bizarre. So there's a particular plot point that's just within the first 20 minutes, which this movie has like three openings and it feels like it never really gets started until at some point you just accept that it started. There's an, uh, a scene where she's, where the lead character, I cannot remember her name, but it doesn't matter. Lead character is talking to her sister and just sort of reveals I was adopted (laughs) and it's just like out of nowhere. And then we just go to the next scene and that's sort of how plops plot points are just introduced. It just keeps rotating into itself. But then like, you know, I'm watching going, I like James Wan and I like his sort of, I like all of that pulpy stuff we talked about in the beginning. And so I'm just sort of, I'm strapping myself in going, I trust James Wan. I trust James Wan. I trust him to to make all of this worth it as I'm continuing to watch the film. And I would say by about the second act, as things are starting to be more unveiled, as we're starting to be introduced into who this killer is, as we're learning a little more facts, as we're seeing how the police are trying to figure out the rest of the story, and as we're being introduced to, I would almost say like mini spoilers, they're like kind of, but but it's a balance of like, is it true or not true? kind of spoilers, which we'll just have to, after we introduce our thoughts in the movie, we kind of just have to go right into. I began to be more confident that Juan was building up to something worthwhile. Then the third act hits, and uh, I, during the third act, turned to my wife, eyes wide, jaw dropped, and I just say to her, this is one of the best third acts I've ever seen in my entire life. And it was just... it. It pays off. James Wan definitely carries it through. This is definitely his messiest movie. But when when my wife and I, and I haven't seen I okay, so I don't know if it's messiest because I haven't seen looking on my shelf. Dead Silence. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I know a lot of people don't like that one. I haven't seen Insidious. I know that's a pretty controversial one. Uh, yeah, because Dead Silence is terrible. So is it? It's terrible. Insidious. Yeah. I like a lot but i agree with the general consensus granted i saw it in theaters and haven't seen it since but okay where like the build-up is really good they're both then, on my shelf haven't done them yet funnily enough like the this malignant really feels like if the third act of insidious which a lot of people agree is like kind of weaker was stretched out to the whole movie where like insidious does like the conjuring thing where it's like tons of build-up uh, Patrick Wilson's also in it where it's mm-hmm. like there's great atmosphere like the movie kind of moves at like slow but not too slow pace where you build a dread right and then the third act of Insidious is like Patrick Wilson like just the movie be- I don't want to spoil it for you but it becomes kind of like a sillier more I want to say conventional but just definitely becomes a more sillier tropey genre movie where like okay you know, all the all the all the things are hidden shadow kind of come to the forefront which malignant is just that for the whole movie kind of where like, yeah, the monster is almost like on screen once, at least once every 20 minutes or so. And there's, it's not subtle. It's in a light room. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Like it's just strange. It's and and it's sort of like a lot of like when I went on letterbox to sort of just check general consensus, it's sort of this amazing thing where like the, the weekend it came out, people are just like, this is great. It's awesome. It's so worth it. Yeah. It's a mess. The first two acts are just, just not good um, in terms of construction. Even the music is annoying at times, really annoying at two times, uh, which my wife sort of clarified as, oh, I think it's homage to such and such, which we can only talk about really later. Um, 
But now it's kind of being talked about where like I'm seeing a lot of negative reviews saying, stop comparing it to this other movie. Stop comparing it. This is a disaster. This is this. And I'm very I get curious it. as to what movies people think this is like. They're comparing it to Giallo. I think oh, it's Gia- an Argento yeah, one. Giallo. It's, Giallo. So it's a whole Giallo is a whole genre. Okay. It's um, Giallo is kind of a, yeah, it's an Italian horror genre, but it's like, yeah, pulpy is the right thing where it's like, it's this whole thing of like, they take kind of ridiculous, blunt, um, premises that are kind of like I don't what's where I, I don't want to say campy, but it is kind of yeah. It's like this movie has a very when you actually get to the premise proper, which you actually don't even really understand what the premise is until last like thirty minutes <laughs> of the movie. Yeah, when you learn what it is, it's so over the top. <laughs> it's like Basket Case is like the movie. This made me think of is Basket Case. I don't know if you've ever seen Basket Case. No, I haven't. Uh, great movie. Great with quotation marks. Uh, <laughs> where for those who don't know, Basket Case is a movie about a guy who just like the whole movie. He just has this weird thing in like a, a basket, like a like a baby carriage, and it's like it's this monstrous creature that's like his like I don't know what. It's, it's like his twin brother, but it's in like a basket, but it's like it's this horrible creature that like kills people. But like that's a Giallo movie where it just has this like kind of I, I don't want horror snobs to come jump down my people to light you up. But like that's a good example of it where you take you take a bluntly horrible premise and you just go full tilt with it. It's full of gore and lewd and crass material. And Giallo is precursor to the slasher film genre. Which is just that, where you just like, hey, what if I got a hockey mask, which just stabbed everybody? That's a job. <laughs> That's, you know, yeah, where yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm really doing a horrible ex- explanation of it. But this definitely 110% is... it just is, basically taking seriously something over the top? Yeah. And you don't, like, your tongue is not on your cheek. You just go, this is the movie. This is yes. what we're doing. And right. I'm going to I'm gonna kind of push back on you and the internet and everyone else who's ever seen this movie, apparently, where... Everyone kept pitching this movie to me as, oh, yeah, the first two thirds of the movie is just trash. It's just garbage. But man, it picks up in the third act. And I was completely 100% entertained the entire movie. And I don't know if it's. Oh, just, I was entertained too. This is, I actually had a really good time. Yeah. I'll, I want to make that clear. <laughs> it, it is edited kind of poorly. And there are things that are really I thought annoying. It was perfect. But I had a really <laughs> good time with it. I, I even at one point during the second act, I just kind of leaned over cuddled with my wife it was like i'm having a really good time <laughs> like it's like it's and it is a kind of a mess but it just sort of took me this movie took me this is where the pulpy stuff comes in it takes me back to just watching horror movies at home where we're just like want to watch a netflix whatever and you just put it on and it's not amazing but you felt good and it pays off but then like this one really pays off it's like you have like even if you had a good time the first two acts you were just going to have this intense spike of dopamine that just just you could not you could not expect and even if you did expect you're still gonna have a good time i don't know so i i'm with you is what yeah. i'm saying it is it is a good time but i also can see like for a lot of people this is like an hour and 10 minutes of just dragging you across concrete <laughs> because it's like it's it's rough <laughs> whenever this movie drops i want to post uh on twitter i want to post like a screenshot of my notes that i took during the movie because they're the least <laughs> <laughs> They're the least helpful notes ever taken because usually I'll like write down full like paragraphs like, oh, I really like this one scene because it evokes this emotion, blah, blah, blah. This one, it was just one sentence of like, like with a t- like near the end, it was like, 
minute 26 lol, 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 lol. <laughs> like, yes yeah 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 yeah. that's what you, i i texted dan and was like because this whole week i've been like did you watch it yet did you watch it yet did you watch it yet and it wasn't even like so we can record earlier so it's easier like logistically it was literally just because i actually i just wanted to send you one meme to explain it which i can tell you about it after we had failed these spoilers sure. <laughs> but then like i was like just when you get to when you finish it or whenever you reach a certain point, text me like one word to explain it. And all you said was all caps was LOL, 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 LOL <laughs> the whole time. And I was like, you saw it. You got there. You it's, did it. <laughs> yeah. And before we get to the the stuff you guys want to hear us talk about, I will say that this movie in a lot of ways is kind of return to because everyone talks about like, oh, we want to homage 80s horror. We want to do this. But really, like the the beauty of older horror films is, you know, because now we've entered a period where horror is going to try to be more sophisticated where the way you do a good horror movie is it's two hours of someone walking around a house where you just hear something go bump. And the scariest thing is a dinner conversation between actual <laughs> family members. And it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe in the last 15 minutes, the Babadook pops out or whatever, you know, whatever. And which I like that stuff. Don't get me wrong. I really do. Mm-hmm. But there That's is why some... we talked about Candyman. That, yeah. we, we got both. We literally got our pulpy and we got our sophistication. Candyman <laughs> is even kind of a good marriage of the two things where they show totally. enough Candyman popping up where you don't lose interest. But like there is a whole genre of horror films where the movie's called Maniac Cop and there's a maniac cop that's running around <laughs> yeah, and just yeah. killing people, making heads explode, you know? Yeah. And like this was very much a return to that because there's some of that James Wan conjuring slow build stuff in the movie a few times. Yeah. But there is constantly a, a the thing the thing that's going bump in the night shows up and murders people. A character gets viciously murdered in the first like 15 minutes of the movie. There's that great opening you're talking about. And there's all these like creep show style transitions where it'll cut to like there's yeah. one scene in particular where uh, the lead actress just screams and there's like kind of like a weird like red shading around her head as she's screaming. And like some people are going to be like, what the heck is this? And for me, it's like I was I loved I love the music. The music is rocking. Like there's this hilariously catchy like rock song instrumental. that they It's play. Pixies. Yeah, they're playing Pixies. <laughs> and they play it multiple times in the movie. Yeah. And it's over supposed so to like, be second time they play it. It's like the end of the movie. <laughs> like, it's like well, it's like credits are literally about to roll and you're like, what? <laughs> like, what's going on? There's this awesome moment where like after because the first person that gets killed is the woman's abusive boyfriend, husband, fiance, which everyone kind of accepts was like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, I don't mind that. Yeah. He gets like his head gets like snapped almost off his body. It's great. It looks like a Junji Ito panel. In fact, <laughs> yes, the, it really it actually, does. They like they do like a uh, it's like a pan upward of the body in like a really dark. So it's really dark. But then all you see is like a, the head backwards and like. It literally looks like Juan was like, yeah, you ever hear of that yeah. guy, Junji Ito? Which, who, who's been blowing up, by the way? We have a lot of his products at work. It's crazy. Oh, good. I'm, I'm a fan of his. And then, like, after that, there's a sequence where the woman returns home, and they play a rockin' song while she has one of those montages. But instead of her, like, suiting up to fight Predator, she's just putting a lock on a door. Yeah, <laughs> that's right yeah it's like just a normal lock and then it's like a rewarding angle of like her like closing it but it's just a slide lock and it's never yeah. brought up again it's like there's not a scene in the movie where like she's chasing her home with a creature whatever is banging on the door but the lock is holding it back it's never brought up again or even the reverse of like laurie strode running away from michael myers like gotta get the keys i gotta get 
yeah, and it it turns, locked, and yeah, and like, then like a twist of fate, she can't get in her house because she locked the right. door. The it, only the time, only it, comes time up, it comes up is the sisters dropping off a casserole and can't open the door. So she climbs up so the side of the house. The window. <laughs> so there's a they have a fake out yeah. jump out scare where she's staring at like her own shadow, <laughs> and then her yeah. sister's like, "Hey, you locked me out." And she's like hanging <laughs> off the window. And then for the rest of the movie, they still use the house, and it's not like. It's not like the doors are locked anymore. No. I don't know. It's so weird. <laughs> this movie is, if you haven't picked up, this movie is incredibly silly. Like, it's never it's very particularly silly. scary. It's There's a couple sequences well, where they build like up both. tension really well. It's silly and then effectively scary. Like, when she's looking out the window at night and there's you're expecting as the light's flickering outside, a person will just appear. And that doesn't happen. A person, very, very, very faint outline, dependent on the fact of how bright your projector is in the theater. <laughs> yeah, a, a figure walks towards the screen. And it's just like, you're seeing what he always does effectively working. So yeah, I would say it's like, it's this balance of just comically funny, goofy stuff, but not in the sense that it's like, a horror comedy. It's not like no, that, no. but more in the sense of like we're doing this seriously because the movie's also really serious at the same time. They they there's never a moment where like the characters lampshade something or right because there's some goofy funny dialogue where they maybe play around with the tropes of horror films. Mm-hmm. Like there's a scene later on where when the when the movie starts getting going a little bit where like yeah like you said in the opening like she starts seeing visions of murder. They go to the cops and they're just like what that's stupid and she's just like yeah i'm seeing it (laughs) like okay and then a couple times like the movie they do a thing where they they have what would be a traditional horror setup like oh the cops don't believe her or oh the cops think she's involved and they very quickly resolve it and move on like they don't drag anything out which i like we keep mentioning so the monster quote unquote is a dark silhouette that kind of looks like her shadow like it's dark link or something and Mm -hmm. um he the the creature can affect technology like it makes lights flicker it can talk through radios and cell phones and the introduction of it is in this hospital scene but you're seeing it through like a translucent cloth so or or like plastic wrap so it's really hard to see it and it looks like a chicken it literally looks like a chicken moving it's like limbs around but like the kind you buy at the store that's already been (laughs) like prepared for a meal so it's like it's a really effective shot of like yeah where you see it enough you've seen this thing in this children's hospital and you see enough to go that's weird and then yeah as as you're watching the rest of the movie it's this like adult like creature which stabs people that is all like yeah that just stabs people people but the coolest part is that it's like you know it's deformed so it's like all deformed and how it like does everything so like it's just more unsettling to watch yeah it's really cool it has like a spider-like movement because it walks up walls and hangs from ceilings but then it just stabs you which is kind of funny to me and where it's, it's messy like, too i it's like very, that like yeah the splatters and stuff when it kills people there's like a scene too when it's like when it's escaping or running away and like it's just falling around like it doesn't know how to do what it's doing yeah, it's and so it adds stuff. a real like it just it's i think one doing kind of the reverse of what he usually does which is it's not that he's a subtle director but what he likes to do is he trails people along to then get the payoff of a horror scene so like the clapping scene in conjuring one but then in this it's like he he does sort of the reverse where like the the creature is bold as day most of the time in, in lit up <laughs> scenes and he goes well what would be creepy to see and yeah. he just does this whatever this thing is and it's really cool it's so not like hidden where like he actually like like one of the scenes where like the the creature stalking one of its prey 
you see that like he just turns the lighting red like like there's no organic reason for this to happen it's not explained well there's the one where there's one scene where the, the guy gets like, stabbed in bed well he's like right across the street from a neon light that's red right but so like, the lights are out but then it's just red but then inside. but then like yeah but then like there's no reason why wouldn't it have been red the whole time then because it not until the creatures are stalking him does the lights turn red well, he turns out the lights doesn't he I don't know. Should I go on HBO Max right now and just check it out? <laughs> well, when he turns out the lights, the whole room is black. Does, oh, so like he opens the curtains. <laughs> let, let me open the curtains to the neon light real quick. <laughs> There's literally a scene where like he turns and then like red lighting just starts shining through his windows and it's atmospheric. And like that happens more than once in the movie where like the lighting mm-hmm. around characters turns red. So this character is just standing above him in like fully illuminated and like you can actually see the creature's face and it's like it is so polar opposite what he usually does, where like you get to see the crooked man or the nun, but that's like payoff. That's yeah, payoff it's after a while. This movie, this this thing is just running around like the streets. Literally, there's a scene where like a character's chasing him down the streets, and it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, 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 like running away. And it's just which is like, great. It's awesome. It's like a it's a it's a CSI episode with a really creepy <laughs> serial killer. That's yeah. really what it is. I I would love to see like yeah, yeah, Alex Stabler and Benson. I wonder and- if that's going to be a new thing because the light Spiral was like that. Spiral was just a CSI episode, but like with a crazy weirdo killer and not nearly as rewarding of movie as this one. So to like kind of like I don't want to say sum up, but like before we get into like spoiler part, I'm just going to say if you're a horror movie fan. It's Werewolf or Watch. Um, I will say oh, totally. before we get into spoilers, the last 15 to 20 minutes is the make or break point for whether or not you love this movie or think it's the worst movie you've ever seen. Yes. Because it's it's awe-inspiring what it is. I, I don't want to hype it up <laughs> yeah. too much. Because oh my gosh, yes. I, yes. Like, I don't want someone <laughs> to be like, oh, I need to know what it is, so keep listening. I, if I really want you, dear listener, to, to watch it. To watch it. Formulate your own opinion. Because I am a weird nerd person that like genuinely thinks movies that are probably very stupid or great. Like I just give a soft defense of the movie pain and gain, for example, <laughs> but I also like, yeah, I like really a blunt, stupid horror films where you get to see really like ridiculous creatures that can never exist, do things that make no sense and murder people graphically. And that's, if that sounds like your thing, Malignant's a movie for you. But also there's something very appealing about watching James Wan, who made two movies that hit like a billion dollars, get like carte blanche, just do whatever he wanted. And this was the movie he made. This is the one he does next. Yeah. You know, because, well, he's got another Aquaman coming up. So, Well, he's done maybe three, right? Because he's got, because did Conjuring 1 go over a billion? I know it did a lot. Conjuring was a big hit. I don't know if it did a billion dollars or anything, but. But then Conjuring 2, I knew it was huge as well. Yes. And then Aquaman, yeah, did a billion. And now he has a whole Conjuring universe that he's a producer on. He is the only other successful universe maker other than Marvel. <laughs> Which is funny because, like, the voice, the reason that it's successful is A, those movies all are made for like $5 million, but also because, right. like, you could just see The Nun or La La Rona without seeing any of the other movies. It's totally fine. Even though they're just so loosely connected, where like a priest who's in one of the Conjuring movies is in the end of <laughs> La La Rona or yeah. whatever, and then the like, Annabella's three movies, which Annabelle is bizarrely popular for some reason. I don't understand why. Because dolls are creepy. I guess. I guess, Yeah, I guess they're just. Don't, don't you know that he just loves dolls between Jigs between Saw, Dead, Dead Silence, Silence. And, and Annabelle. Yeah. 
This dude loves dolls. I wonder if there was any like Easter eggs in this one with like a doll or anything because I I didn't peep anything. But so yeah, uh, in multiple movies of him and uh, the other guy, Layla, the guy who did um, Invisible Man and stuff, they have like Jigsaw. Oh, Lay One L. Lay One L. They'd have Jigsaw graffiti or Jigsaw doll show up in all of their movies. That actually reminds me, uh, this movie I almost felt like was sort of like a pairing to Invisible Man, where like. James Wan and Leigh Whannell sort of said to each other, like, let's write similar movies, <laughs> kind of about similar it's, problems. Yeah. And you kind of got to see the two of them go in completely opposite directions. It's the difference between Dawn of the Dead and Return of the Living Dead, basically. Because they both, both movies have psych wards, both movies have female protagonists sort of enduring, like, b- maybe briefly in, in this one, but enduring sort of a power struggle with a man, and then cops are involved because they both like that which i i am a big fan of that in horror movies i always think it's really fun to put some sort of like i don't know um human authority that is uh questionably reliable now (laughs) after as as people are recontextualizing with the police um which is fine with me um but like when you have them introduced like in something like never on elm street it's great to have sort of like well when an invader is in your house who do you call you call the police Oh, but this invader is in my dreams. <laughs> okay, guess we'll figure it out. Guess we'll call Dream Warriors. Yeah, so. yeah. Which hey, that would have been cool. But yeah, stuff like that I think is cool, and that's that's another thing I like about this. So yeah, I definitely agree with Dan. Though, if you have not seen Malignant yet, and you haven't seen any spoilers yet or anything like that, uh, definitely recommend it. It's it's quite violent uh but but it is a good time it is definitely a good time i definitely recommend checking it out it's on hbo max right now for a little yeah see with friends don't see definitely with friends i wish i like i said i wish it's all in a packed theater uh because i reacted and was like audibly like after a particular scene i was like oh my gosh i just just out loud just what the heck (laughs) like stuff like that because it just totally built up inside me i had to say it It just it's it is that so Definitely a recommendation, but uh, to kind of get into what we've been talking about, I first just want to read just the quote from basically the, it's not really, I mean, it's a meme because everything from The Office is a meme, but I'm just going to read the scene that I was basically telling you, Dan, all week okay. is this I movie. It's Dwight going, Dwight saying, when my mother was pregnant with me, they did an ultrasound and found she is having twins. When they did another ultrasound a few weeks later, they discovered that I had reabsorbed the other fetus. Do I regret this? No. I believe this tissue has made me stronger. I now have the strength of a grown man and a little baby. And that's this movie. For the mm. rest of eternity, when the office or office pages are like, post a screenshot of, from the office and it explains a movie. Anytime someone posts malignant, the screenshot will be Dwight talking about reabsorbing another fetus and having the strength of a baby. And it uh it just makes this movie all the better. So should we should we track through the movie though as we kind of explain well, it? Just so talking about all the several red herrings of this film. <laughs> there's there's three phases where and each one could have been its own movie. Uh the first phase is a woman starts seeing visions of grisly murders and then tries to get police to investigate. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I thought the cops in this movie were fine because like they have completely reasonable they they constantly doubt her because everything she says is complete like insanity. Which it is. If we were not watching her, it <laughs> if would be <laughs> this did not take place within a movie called Malignant, I'd be like, yeah, the, the cops are right. 
But then they're just yeah. kind of like they keep shrugging, going like, "I guess we got she, we got no leads." She was right about the first <laughs> thing. I guess we got to keep checking it out. Yeah. The second phase is when we get into the first thing where it's revealed that this character called Gabriel is was her imaginary friend as a kid. And so it's a movie about if someone's imaginary friend started murdering people and everyone's like, what? That's insane. And then like they get bring in like a hypnotherapist. Mm -hmm. And I will say like, because we haven't really talked about like the actual filmmaking proper where to be like all the scenes where the transitions from her being like in her house to when she's seeing murders are, I thought they were really cool. Yeah, I did. did Specifically the first one where like she's doing laundry and then oh that was good yeah it was like a legitimately Mm -hmm. good jump scare and then like it was just cool to watch and so that's like (laughs) that's like the first hour and 10 minutes of the movie where you think you finally have settled on a premise and so they gotta kill this imaginary friend yeah and her mom is inexplicably in a wheelchair which i don't know if that was ever explained because i thought they'd be a thing where like gabriel pushed her down the stairs or something did i miss that or something no they no so the 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 sort of phase and order, at least from my experience, was somehow she's connected to this killer, and she's witnessing these murders, and they're showing them to her for some reason. But there's some, well, maybe not showing them to her because they sort of imply that she's just able to see them. And then there's the scene when uh, Gabriel murders the man in the bed, and Gabriel looks over and sees her in the bed too. And so it's almost like, uh oh, did Gabriel just find out that he's being seen as he's doing these killings and so then she's you know panicking and worried and all these things so then you're like okay it's a serial killer that's kind of creepy it's a it's obviously the child that was in the beginning of the movie right. that has the electrical powers and never for a second doubt of that yeah it's like it's right there then they there's even oh and even the scene when she when she finds that her boyfriend slash husband is dead, she's chased by a creature as well. And so like, you're like, okay, Gabriel has been in their house. Gabriel has, is something, something about that event connected them. So you're like, what's going on? Then you start to think maybe she's the one doing the killings because they have this entire part where as they're investigating who's being killed, it's these people from the hospital and they're saying they're investigating that this hospital used to do basically re- body reconstruction for children, helping with psychological trauma and other things like that. And they find that she had been going there. She had actually grown up there before, which calls back to the, the, the plot point that she was adopted because she's like, I don't remember being in there. And so then she goes back to her. Yeah, her mom who's in a wheelchair. Yeah, I guess they don't really explain that. I guess just old age gets you somehow. And then they're learning like, oh, don't you remember you had this imaginary friend named Gabriel, which this is just after we learned that Gabriel is the name of the killer. And so you get this really creepy birthday tape where she's blowing out the birthday candles and then talks to Gabriel and Gabriel's complaining about not getting any cake. And then you get like a Christmas tape (laughs) where she's using a play phone she got from Christmas and is saying, no, Gabriel, I'm not going to kill the baby. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> What's going on? Which is a callback to the um, a semi callback because she's basically gotten pregnant. Uh, the main character has been pregnant four times and all four times has had miscarriages. And so there's like, OK, there's some sort of connection between this, I guess, now imaginary friend and all of this stuff that's going on. And then as 
as there's basically a scene when the police confirm, quote unquote, that she, our protagonist has been doing the killings. We get another audio track of the Pixies playing as she's being arrested. But before they can exit the house, um, a woman that we have seen who has been abducted by Gabriel and put into some sort of cell, which we believe is down in the Seattle underground because we've had several scenes in the Seattle underground actually has been in her attic and when she escapes falls through the floor into the living room of the house that we've been in for this entire hilarious movie. scene and we just, just hilarious like, this was the, this was the first moment where i go what <laughs> like literally in the theater because like there's several points in the movie where james wan kind of pulls your chain going no actually we're going this direction but this one completely caught me off guard because i like even the way that the attic looks doesn't look like a normal person's <laughs> attic. <laughs> and so then she's like not just being arrested, but she's extra being arrested because <laughs> they're like, why did you have this beaten woman in your attic? And you get this great scene where she's being interrogated. And uh, do you want to describe this interrogation scene? Because I thought it was fantastic. I thought the lighting was just beautiful. Yeah, it's great. So they're understandably... <laughs> pretty suspicious of her because <laughs> she just had a woman fall out of her attic yeah. into the living room they just did their like semi-seance in <laughs> they found all of the evidence in her attic the murder weapon the outfit, murder weapon the killer war outfit yeah um she's explicitly connected herself to the murders and so far her defense is my imaginary friend is doing this so not <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> not what her lawyer would probably tell her to say i'm assuming and so and you're like oh i guess it was her, I right? Question mark. I at no. I was gonna. Say, I, I you're not gonna believe me, but I pretty much guessed what the twist of the movie was. Not not because I seen a bunch of weirdo movies, but because I wouldn't say I didn't guess the specific as specific detail as we'll get into. But I more or less guessed what the twist of the movie was. Um, for whatever reason, it just kind of to me it felt like where the movie was going. Where as I guess it's part of why I liked it. I just I'm just so in tune with what the movie's going for. I was like, and yes, you're like, yes, yes please do perfect. it, do it, James. Yeah, I, <laughs> you won't, James. You won't do it. The producers <laughs> won't let you. Yeah. yeah, be an artist for once, James. Yeah, um, and this this definitely was a movie that was like producers were like, ah, you've already made us rich. Do whatever you want, <laughs> like because because this movie goes places. It's it's the epitome of one for the studio, one for you. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, so yeah, she's getting interrogated, and she has the worst defense in human history. And there, it like, was my imaginary friend who I call the I devil. I told you, she's like <laughs> frustrated. Like, I don't know, it could be more clear. And so, <laughs> just Great. and then the the there's like a there's like a white cop who looks like a generic composite of every white cop who looks see. like James Wan, <laughs> literally kind of like James Wan. Yeah. He, and then the, and then there is um, his, uh, his partner who's like a more no nonsense, like straightforward mm-hmm. speaking cop. Classic X-Files. Cla- yeah. yeah. Classic X-Files, classic good cop, bad cop and bad cop is just like, look, you're going to jail. You clearly did this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. White cop is just like uh, white cop, a good cop. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, uh he's just like oh, i don't know there's a part of him that like in just like he feels he he feels like he wants to believe her partly because he was attacked by the actual killer well and also this is after there's a scene where she says i witnessed a murder go to this apartment and then they go to this apartment and the murder happened yeah, yeah it's like as described so to be fair which i mean i guess you could i guess from their perspective she killed she killed the person and then like right tattle on herself i suppose but then right when 
and this is where we're talking about like the movie has some classic horror movie like tropes that it just like quickly gets rid of because those are boring where like in most horror movies there would be like extended sequence where she's going to jail and the killer would kill again or the killer would be like on the prison bus with her or something here like the 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 lighting fades out where like the, the lights flicker yeah. and they go out and she then, something happens where she gets really mad and then electricity starts going out she's like i told you it's not me and she like bangs her fists on the table and all the all yeah. the light bulbs like burst and except for the one important light the, the one that James lights up the here. scene so you can see it and it's then, beautiful and it looks great she, she yeah. just there's just a black background where you just see her face against the darkness and she's looking down and you literally have the shadows from her eyelashes making it look even more yeah more violent she is like this ghostly pallor to her now where she looks like a phantom she looks like the girl from the ring kind of and yeah, um it's awesome they're sitting yeah they're sitting there and then the the phone does like the it does this thing with the phone ring but it's like also staticky because it's the evil spirit calling the phone mm-hmm. which is you know you know how that is and uh so they like <laughs> you, you know it happens all the time <laughs> We've you all had AT&T. They, AT&T. Ex- they yeah. want to call about your extended warranty, and you're just like, all right, I guess I got to pick it up. So I, yeah. I get it. Real rule of two for comedy. Real call back there. Nice. And so, yeah, the <laughs> the, the generic guy cop picks up the phone, and the, and the killer's like, ah, it was me. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I have a yeah. full alibi, but that's not good enough for me. You know, I really want to keep killing. And you're like, I guess it wasn't her, because... Yeah. <laughs> the killer's calling right now and you're like okay it's like i guess uh, she's some sort of conduit i don't the know guy's like gabriel why are you doing this you know because you might as well try and get straight it's answers awesome and he's like uh what's the name she used to call me the the devil and it's just yeah. like whoa which doesn't come back like i was kind of hoping they'd do a hard <laughs> yeah. turn where it's just like it's just the devil like why would yeah. the devil do this he's a bad guy yeah why not so then they're like oh crap and they like and then they um what's it see like so she gets taken to her cell they take her to the jail and then you see the sister is doing her own investigation to further find out stuff so i love this first the sister does her own investigation goes to the spooky place where you assume the third act will be and she just leaves yeah <laughs> awesome. awesome. she parks her car at the edge of a cliff and, and my like, wife i heard my wife you know, go bad idea yeah this house, this house on a haunted hill there's yeah. all this like scooby it's the scooby-doo shot of the big haunted building you have the set designers who are like i love cobwebs and they set up cobwebs everywhere except for where she's walking because clearly nobody's walked there ever they but do the thing where she goes to where the important information is and then she hears a noise in the distance she it's looks. not just that it's she looks at the directory and it says basement floor one so it's the very bottom ah oh, man that's where i have to go sucks so like it's it is everything you're expecting him to do and she goes there gets the tapes and then it cuts away back to our protagonist in the <laughs> yeah she just goes home <laughs> it, it literally cuts to her and it's it's a shot a close-up shot of putting a vhs tape into the thing and you're like oh, oh she got home <laughs> that's it it's, it's awesome <laughs> It's it is the perfect thing of James Wan going. Just hold on, just wait, wait patiently. I got you. <laughs> yeah, and then it cuts to the sequence that they'll show at the Oscars when they, you know, <laughs> where they're showing Best Director nomination, where mm-hmm. it's just like there. You see the shot of her, the main character sitting in the cell as all the other inmates are like, "Oh, you're clearly not a real criminal. We're going to bully you." And then they're playing the tapes, the VHS tapes of like the progression of the they they get they go through a movie's worth of plot in like two minutes yeah where they explain everything they explain 
right. that the woman that you see getting attacked in the underground, who we didn't even mention, is her birth mother. Her mother. But yeah. she gave it up because she was like a 15-year-old rape victim. And like her, clearly there's something wrong with her fetus because they're just like, this is an abomination. Yeah, they describe it that way. Yeah, they keep progressing. We're like, oh, clearly like there's some stuff. And then there's a tape where they're just like, yeah, like, why did you attack this person? She's like Gabriel told me to do it. And they're like, we've sedated. They say, we've sedated Gabriel to separate the connection. And, and I'm just for like, the whole movie, we're like, like okay, yes, there's obviously yes. there's a psychic connection. Reveal cool, it, whatever. Reveal it. Yeah. And like, it's literally just, you're building up the music. I don't think there was even music. I think they're just it was a loud scene where when you're cutting back to her in the hot in the prison, she's getting harassed and beaten. So it's loud and like really like energetic. Building, and then we're building. cutting back to the VHS tape and they're saying like, yeah, Gabriel told me to attack them. Gabriel told me to stab them. It's OK. Gabriel can't talk to you right now. We sedated him. And then as the interview closes, the woman says like, okay, we're going to go talk to Gabriel now. Um, we're going to sedate you and we'll, you'll be safe. Yeah. And then it's like, it's like the ending of El Topo where the, she starts talking to the camera and she just like grabs the camera like, come, let's and then see. She <laughs> picks up the camera and then you just walk behind the protagonist as a child and there's Gabriel attached to her back as an unfinished fetus, like a chicken baby. That's just they're just conjoined twins in reverse. Gabriel has been there the whole time. It's 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 like that's when my mouth was like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, and then because you're going back to where she is in the prison, you're going, stop beating her. You don't know. You don't know what's yeah. about to happen. There's two things I want to <laughs> point like, out about this uh. <laughs> first what's great is they also cut the reaction shot of her adoptive mother and her sister and they're like oh yeah, they're like oh! Oh! it's like so disgusting and, and gross. it's you know as they look at what looks like <laughs> the puppet at like a your local haunted house it's yeah. just it's just somebody it's so cool. with two strings like pulling arms it's awesome yeah pulling them it up looks, and like up and down and it, <laughs> if you see hopefully you're only listening to this if you've seen the movie but it looks like it looks like one of those fake rubber alien things you see when someone it's says, so like, cool. I have proof that aliens exist. I got <laughs> yeah. footage from Area 51. It's yeah. that costume. And it's so cool. Here's the thing. It's perfectly been built up the whole movie because at the beginning of the movie, right. when her husband's abusing her or boyfriend or whatever, he slams the back of her head against a wall and she starts bleeding her head. And well, every time. So the reason that is, though, is the beginning of the movie they say we're going to cut out the cancer and then you get your intro sequence and intro sequences are annoying in movies they always make my eye roll because i'm like this is a this is dumb i don't need this intro sequence rocks i love the opening credit sequence it's well so in this it pays off it's retroactively great because in the intro sequence you're just seeing hospital footage of like basically organs being taken out and people being repaired and you don't really know why but now you do because when they say we're gonna find like gabriel's evil we need to cut out the cancer you learn that the intro sequence was the scene of them sedating the protagonist and cutting out every part of gabriel except for his face because they say we can't sever the brain connection or it might kill her so we're just going to push gabriel's push. head further into the and skull sell it and up. then cover it up and that's yeah. that's it as they teach you in in med school yeah. that's so so bizarre and so then when she's abused in the beginning and her head is slammed against the back of the wall 
it wakes yeah. Gabriel up. <laughs> so keep that keep that in mind, abusers. Yes. You never know. Um, you never know but, what's gonna happen. Yeah. So, so that's the whole why movie. He's the whenever, first yeah, yeah, it, it makes sense. Like, because and they're kind of right. Or they're being the movie. They're like, huh? No forced entry, and the abusive husband is the one who got murdered. Huh? <laughs> they're all kind of right. looking at each other. And yeah, because Gabriel's ex- in the same body, to an so extent, it's like right, I gotta but... be alive. So I gotta kill the one who's gonna try and kill me. Yeah. So like the whole movie, anytime something spooky happens, the back of her head is bleeding. And if you th- and you think this is gonna be an artsy fartsy movie where there's some sort of symbolic connection between her and the killer, right. or there's a psychic connection, or when she kills the killer in the movie, it's gonna be she's gonna die too. Or, you know, maybe she's turning into Candyman. Who knows? But, like, in this <laughs> yeah. movie, it's very... No. It's because the it's killer on biological. is yeah. literally <laughs> attached to the back of her head. Like, insert Harry Potter reference here. It's exactly yes. like that. And so, except it's instead of Voldemort telling... What's his? I'm bad at Harry Potter names. When my wife never, my wife is never listening to the podcast I make. But if she was, she <laughs> would be very. She sad. would scream at me for not knowing the names of the Harry Potter characters. I forget his but name too. But yeah, my wife mentioned Smurl, that too. Squirrel. I don't know. It's not squirrel. <laughs> keep, keep trying. It's, keep trying. <laughs> yeah, it's a giant squirrel with Voldemort in the back of his head. But yeah, so then we cut after this. After the best thirty seconds of movie you'll ever see in your life. It cuts to her in the prison cell. It's and Gabriel the, takes Gabriel, over. Gabriel, And it's the best <laughs> scene ever because she has you a, see yeah, She has like a works. seizure. And it's, it's like, it's oh, so no, gross. she's having a seizure. Yells all of the yells the ethnically diverse prisoners there that all are wearing um, comical, not real gang gangster outfits. 90s warriors outfits. <laughs> they're, it's they're, awesome. They're wearing bandanas <laughs> and stuff. And it's yeah. like, so what happens is. And this is the this is your <laughs> so the fly. Cool, dude. I'm so hyped just to talk about it. Yeah, right. We're excited to talk about it. <laughs> I, I'm talking to my dad yesterday because he's like, "See any good movies lately?" And I'm like, "Oh, oh boy, boy did I see a good movie?" And I was even describing it to him, not like the scene, but just saying, "I mean, I'm hyped right now because you gotta see this movie because of this one scene." Oh it's, man, this is yeah, this is the equivalent of like <laughs> Equilibrium's a terrible movie, yeah. but those gun katana, gun gun kata scenes are great. Or this is the end know. of Miami Connection, where <laughs> the rest of the movie's just horrible. Yeah. But then you get a scene where the the main guys kill all the bad guys, and then at the end it says, "If the world would be a better place if there was no <laughs> yeah, violence in we it." Will, only the eradication <laughs> of violence would achieve world peace. Yeah. And. I, I saw that Red Letter Media posted a review of this movie. I purposely didn't watch it. I'm curious what they thought, obviously, but like I didn't read I didn't read any reviews or watch any reviews or listen to any reviews of this movie because I wanted my unfiltered opinions to be here. It sounds and like I, you mostly just got me where it was like, what is it? And I'm like, it's the ending. That's what this movie yeah. is. Yeah, well, yeah, I, and I, I, <laughs> I didn't want to also overhype it because I knew if I listened to a bunch of right. like bad movie podcasts or horror podcasts or whatever, going like, oh man, it's gonna be the best thing you've ever seen. I didn't want it to like not exceed my be the best thing you ever saw. Yeah. But fortunately, because I went in totally cold, I got to witness this woman, the back of her head opens up and another not just the, opens up it after rips the seizure and gabriel basically tur- walks the yes, reason we've well, seen gabriel is- walk in reverse the whole movie is because when he takes over her body he is in reverse controlling the body and we watch as she in reverse grabs the back of her skull through her hair and just opens it up and this bloody face just shows up <laughs> it is awesome yeah and then her arms and legs <laughs> turn around so sort it's- of Sort kind of. of. <laughs> en- enough to be functional is what I'll say. 
contortionist like dream if you thought the crooked man was a fun james wan wacky you know stilt man you know kind of walking you've never seen that anything because this is the most awkwardly moving movie monster i've ever seen that's why my comparisons to stuff like you know basket case or trying to think of a similar most similar like or like yeah jeff Goldblum turning into the fly or anything like that where it's like the monster is something that should not be. So it doesn't move right. like a human should. It moves like someone walking backwards trying to murder a bunch of people who she like she has to spider walk around. Right. That's why it's so scary. I don't know if scary is the right word. I immediately burst out laughing alone in my living room with my cat. It's unsettling. It was great. I it just, was great. I was losing it. I was like, this can't be real. Well, like, I had a huge smile. I had this amazing smile. <laughs> yeah, well, it's this. It's good. This movie brings joy, as it should, as James Wan intended. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Malignant <laughs> is for the children. It is. This is. It, I want to see this creature get the Babadook Pennywise treatment where, like, people draw fun fan art where the creature is like giving candy to children and surrounded by rainbows because th- what a beautiful <laughs> movie monster this is where it is it's great it's for the opposite reasons that Candyman's is a great movie monster because he represents so many deep-seated traumas and issues and his powers and he's and terrifying fully yeah. yeah it's terrifying because he fully represents a real world horror the malignant back of head <laughs> Gabriel monster reverse contortionist murderous rampage <laughs> is, John Wick monster <laughs> is great because this is what the movies are all about you know you get you see something that you've never seen before when you as Roger Ebert said when you go to the movies you get transported to a magical place and malignant transforms you into a magical place where the most stupid illogical movie monster you've ever seen not just exists <laughs> But it's extremely effective. Yeah. With the most awkward, ham-fisted fighting style I've ever seen, this creature murders a whole room of, like, inmates. Who, maybe they're just there because they got four parking tickets and didn't pay them off. Well, too bad. (laughs) Because Malignant Monster is just wrecking everybody. Just ripping, breaking necks, ripping throats out. Punches through people in reverse. Yeah. (laughs) It's just straight, like, Mortal Kombat fatalities one person. And the 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 lead crushes like, skulls. Cr- it's crazy. Uh, pu- like puts the finger and eye socket thing from uh, Game of Thrones. And the Punisher does that. Where <laughs> from and, like, the Three co- Stooges. Yeah, from the Three Stooges. You know, yeah. A cop shows up and just starts shooting at her, which is stupid. <laughs> he just reaches through and pulls him into the well, like first. Freaking- he's shooting through the he's, his arm is through the the gate like an idiot, and so. <laughs> The Melinda grabs a woman and rushes the cage, slams a person into his arm to break his arm, (laughs) then reaches through and murders him. And then then takes the keys and just you're just going, "Uh oh, (laughs) it's going to get worse. Oh, no. (laughs) Now it's unleashed. And like, there's no I was racking my brain was trying to think, is there an explained reason why this creature is more powerful, stronger than anybody? Because like, no, there's not. It's. In the beginning of the movie, it explains its power level. It's really strong, and it controls electricity. That's but it. Why? There's no there's reason. No... no, there's no reason. It's just. It's. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of like you're not using more than ten percent of your brain. That's the movie. Like that is. Yeah. That's why it's like, so cool. What we are led to believe in universe is that by virtue of not getting all the nutrition you should as a fetus. <laughs> 
you get yeah. more abilities. That's why it's the Dwight Schrute line, because it's not just the power of one grown woman and a small baby, <laughs> but we're also led to believe that the reason she's having miscarriages is because Gabriel in dormancy is feeding off of the babies that she's having. So it's, it is peak pulp. It is this thing has the power of four yeah, infants. This it is, is so <laughs> bizarre. It is the it is the Jaden Smith tweet. Babies are geniuses. This is that movie. <laughs> it's just right. Crazy. Yeah, it works. It works an EC horror comic logic. <laughs> it's where so cool. This yeah, it, where it's like, oh, why does it do this thing? Here's an explanation. Does the explanation make sense? No, no, but you don't care because <laughs> cares. the point. The point of the, it's funny, like, it's like you can read subtext into malignant, you could find meaning and symbolism in it. But also, at the end of the day, James Wan had an idea and he sat down and he was like, wouldn't it be funny if <laughs> Someone someone's conjoined twin? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, what if what if your conjoined twin wanted to murder people and he had to come up with reasons for why that would work? Why would yes. you just like why the killer would even be able to function exist? And what it leads to is this awesome scene where the creature is running through a police precinct, fighting cops, breaking people's it's arms. It's a John Wick scene. It's it's a John Wick scene. It's it's, John, it's like yeah, it's like a it's John Woo's hard boiled. Except instead of you know Chow Yun Fat sh- sh- jumping through the air and shooting guns, it is a spider woman spider crab walking around breaking people's arms like breaks two arms as like his <laughs> bones look out and he goes ah yeah. you know it's just <laughs> yeah it's and, great there is a scene in she's she's now in the precinct fighting cops who, and they have stupid guns in combat <laughs> training which is yeah. no match for a woman walking backwards <laughs> and I know, jumping around so but like there is a scene in the precinct when like in a normal movie, you would have your protagonist do a slow motion kill of the bad guy. But in this movie, you get the bad guy climbing on a wall doing a slow motion epic kill where she just sort of lands on a cop who's arguably a good guy and just like breaks its arms and then like stabs it in the head and yeah. falls. But it's like this epic glory kill because James Wan knows why you're in the movie theater and it's to watch some super cool stuff. And that's what the scene is where it's just super cool stuff happening. And, and then it basically climaxes with your two protagonist character cop characters who are like, we can't fight them. We got to leave. And as they're getting up, <laughs> the thing just <laughs> throws like a chair across the room. I cackled. Just, oh my gosh. It's so funny. So yeah, it just leaves. It's like, yeah, the cop first, the cop first, the cops try to kill it because it points a gun and she just like oh sticks a chair on his arm, <laughs> breaks his arm, yeah. slashes the one cop's stomach. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, oh, it's super. We yeah, got to leave. And it's like it just grabs a chair from one side of the room, hucks it at the other side, perfectly <laughs> it's like hits a wide both shot of them. Of the whole room. Yeah. Just like buzzer beater three pointer to win the game. Yeah. You see like you see a hundreds coming up because it's the point score going up and like stylish coming up yeah, on the screen. Bar, and- yeah. <laughs> You got the one yeah. up. It's, and this it is, is so funny. This movie's like an hour and 50. This is the <laughs> or hour and 48, something like that. This is the hour 30 mark. And I wrote yeah, down like, all right, the rest of the movie left. This yeah. movie's pretty solid. I wrote down this point. 
Yeah. I don't think there's an episode of Cinematic Doctrine where we've laughed or felt this much joy. I just, there is, <laughs> this is the movie that is just the greatest. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. And to foreshadow <laughs> something, like we, we record like two hours for Candyman, half of it got cut for time, and we'll likely, you know, rear its rear its head some point as like a patreon exclusive or something yeah that is a future plan we'd like to subscribe to patreon for extra episode content where we have we go into in-depth discussion about the morality of horror films why they exist what when they cross the line which i love that that was then followed up by us going this movie's awesome a dude gets both his arms broken <laughs> yeah. somebody gets a throat ripped out someone gets a chair thrown at him. i mean we haven't even talked about the fact that like the prison scene is a bunch of women being murdered by this creature <laughs> but it's I mean, by another woman it's kind of yeah, i think gabriel's of. i don't know if gabriel's supposed to be a, like a male fetus that turned into a monster no it is a male fetus because later um the birth mother calls gabriel whatever is her name son is, her son but like it's an, an undeveloped fetus but it's a woman's body yeah, yeah. It's a, so i guess we could have gone the the um introspective route and had a gender discussion but why would you waste that on a malignant <laughs> episode where we get to talk about how cool it is so yeah that the those awkward looking movie monster in history this side of like the the claw or the night of the lepus or you know <laughs> or even like the toxic avenger like yeah. those all those all those monsters and creatures make weird. more sense and make more sense as a murderous force than this creature does. I mean, this creature gets shot and it's still alive. So why? It's, like, I don't it's just a woman's why. body. <laughs> yeah, and just... they, they even halfway later, like not to not to spoil the other ten minutes of the movie, but like <laughs> later there's a scene where she's just like, "It's my body the whole time," and she just lifts something heavy. So I guess she just has super. It's just. Maybe this movie takes place in the Split universe, right? The Glass I hope this universe. takes place in the Invisible Man universe. I hope that these movies come together in some capacity. Well, it's like it's the same logic though of like Unbreakable, right? Where it's yeah. like, oh, well, I guess if there's people who have glass bones, it follows that there's people with super bones that can't be hurt. And so that's I mean, I, I'm overthinking it, obviously. Super so, so what also I'll point out is what's great about this end of the scene is that a previously unseen, like, doctor lady just shows up and goes, I'll take care of them. And then that's it. Like, we don't see the cops again for, like, the rest of the movie. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, right. they're, just, they're just fine. And, like, what happened to the evidence room lady? Oh, she she's fine. She's, she's the one who... She just hid, right? She hides, and then she finds the two cop protagonists knocked out by a chair across the room. And then the male uh, says, all right, I'm going to go stop her, or whatever they are. And then we don't see the, the black cop anymore. We don't see the evidence lady anymore. And then our white cop goes off to try and stop it. And we get this amazing scene in the hospital where the sister is now uh, going to, because I think there's a scene where basically the sister finds out, oh my gosh, the creature's going to go kill the birth mother. And so she's running to go to run to the birth mother and try and save her. And as we're there, it's totally fine. And then the nurse that she's talking to goes, ah, ah, my heart. Oh my gosh, my pacemaker! It because it's electric. <laughs> it, explodes. it explodes. And it's just like, 
I, as it's happening, I'm like, yes, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> like, like you holding your Candyman figures, figures yeah. in the last one. In this movie, you yeah. didn't know it, but when you went into the malignant scene, when you got your tickets purchased, they gave you the malignant figure, and you're like, what's this? And you didn't know until just the a, seats were happening. It's a pacemaker that spurts <laughs> red liquid at you. Yeah, yeah, my 4D experience, <laughs> and like, and that's when you know, uh oh, she's here. And uh, then Gabriel shows up. And the police guy shows up and shoots her, but then Gabriel throws the blade, which it's like, it's so cool because like James Wan even goes, I'm going to make a new movie monster because he gives it an outfit. It's a leathery 80s, 90s movie monster outfit. And right. then he uses the re- the award that the, um, the, the doctor, the doctor basically got. Yeah. He converts into a blade. So it's so cool. Um, and he basically looks like Pig. Um, what's what's her name from Saw? I can't remember. It's not Sarah. but. Um, the girl that takes over for being um, uh, uh, Jigsaw. I can't I'm, remember her I'm name. I'm not going to remember. It's like, it's literally in my head and I can't get it. But it basically is him going, I want to do that. But again, it's it, <laughs> it's a cross where like James Wan made an 80s, early 90s slasher film, basically mixed it with like hit, hit Conjuring or the first half of Insidious. Yeah, basically. That's what the movie is, where he took he took a dumb slap, like one of the like the like. And I mean, one of the dumb slashers like My Bloody Valentine or um, New Year's Day, you know, one of the lame slashers no one remembers where everyone was just trying to copy Jason and Michael Myers. It's silent Night, Deadly Night. It's yeah. garbage. <laughs> uh, the tr- truly this the proof that the second movie can be better than the first movie. <laughs> silent Night, Deadly Night <laughs> 2. Garbage Day. You know, yeah, it took one of those movies, like, you know, took one of those um, generic slashers and just like put them in a james wan movie basically yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. it's it it really works because and i will say that the last five minutes of the movie are hilariously quick it is so quick and it's just it's just naruto and the nine tails fox that's what it is that that reference does not <laughs> land with me i have no idea what you're talking about okay so the what happens in naruto is in <laughs> Let me explain to you all 700 episodes. Uh, we're not going to get to ship it in today, but you know. <laughs> that's the Patreon ex- extra content. Uh, <laughs> I'm only on like episode 130 of even the first series. I still got to. Uh, it's great, by the way. Someday we could talk about just cool things. We'll never finish. Next Patreon poll. You're going to throw Baruto in there and be like, <laughs> yeah, nice. I know anime. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the end of the movie is now. Now Gabriel showed up controlling the body, which we haven't even talked about how after it's been revealed, we basically get to see Gabriel's body, but from behind. And it's just a it, it is just a, a suit where it's <laughs> the back of the woman's face, but stretched out. Yeah, it's so creepy. They made it's a just, Halloween mask of our lead actress and stuck on the back of some other but it's actors just in head. reverse. <laughs> it's awesome. It is just like the coolest thing. We're like, it's just it is peak awesome visual flair. It is taking advantage of the medium of film to give you something so tasteful while simultaneously being so tasteless. And I'm like, I got to shovel popcorn in my face. This is the greatest thing in the world. And that's another thing. When the intro sequence is going and we're watching this body be cut apart, I'm just like, this is so cool. I'm putting popcorn in my mouth. But she shows up and she's like, I saved you for last. Talking to the sister because one of the plot points is, uh, our protagonist wouldn't need Gabriel anymore because 
she has a sister that can be her friend. And so, which is all feeding into the red herring that Gabriel's an, an imaginary friend, which was just great. There is so many good red herrings that are like totally rational in the movie of like, oh, it's the sister. Or no, first it's a serial killer. Oh no, it's an imaginary friend. Oh no, it's the devil. And then what we get. And she finally shows up. Gabriel shows up. And we have a scene where Gabriel is going to kill the sister and is going to kill the mother. And she, the protagonist, is seeing it like she's seen all the other times, because as Gabriel takes over the body, Gabriel likes to show the, you know, the primary body, what's happening. And we watch as Gabriel kills the sister and then kills the mom. But then But wait. Yeah. But wait, there is more. And we see that actually it was totally fake. And we feel we see we listen to an over uh, dub of the the protagonist going, I've learned what you've learned. And the entire surrounding environment fades away, just like how it did when she witnessed murders. And he's in a black space like the upside down. And the protagonist is standing in front of Gabriel and says, I, if you, it is the same body. If you can control it, I can control it too. And then she locks him away. Gabriel's stuck inside this cell, like the nine-tailed fox from Naruto. (laughs) And then we see that the sister is alive and the mom never died and everything's okay. And that's the end of the movie, except we hear a buzzing from a light bulb as though to say Gabriel is trying to get back out. But it doesn't actually buzz. Yeah. Because it's sort of like the the top at the end of Inception, which you know, Malignant is very much like Inception. Um, but yeah, it's it's awesome. Which now we can finally say that the Pixies song that's used is probably a little tiny homage that James Wan is making to Fight Club, because that's basically the same plot in a same in a similar kind of way. But anyways, good movie. <laughs> this is a one of the most rewarding movies I've ever seen. It is such a good like. It's just good. It is. It is. If you were reading a novel of this, you get to this this amazing payoff at the end where it's like, I got to tell people about it. I have not stopped thinking about it all week. It just keeps coming up in conversation. I wanted to rewatch it before this. It's great. It's it's fun to talk about. It's yeah, the first two thirds, three fourths of the movie to me totally work is just like, you know, a B movie. It's a fun little horror movie. And then it, it's elevated by just the sheer insanity. Z-grade violence. Of, <laughs> yeah, like, it's awesome. The completely ludicrous twist that works and makes enough sense where it doesn't ruin anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get some really whacked out visuals. It's some of the most bizarre stuff you'll see in a mainstream horror film. It's a good mystery, too. Yeah, it's a decent mystery. It's like, it, it is a better mystery than every Sherlock episode <laughs> where you can actually put the pieces together and yeah. come to your own conclusions. It's like... The movie, the title spoils the movie. And even one of the covers, one of the posters is spoils the movie. All of the clues are there. Yeah. Mr. Policeman. But like, in the, instead of having like Benedict Cumberbatch have like a, a fit where he sees numbers in the sky and it's like, there's no way I'm figuring out this puzzle until I get to the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I said, I kind of, I figured it'd be a conjoined twin situation. I did not think it would be. To that this kind? extent, I <laughs> yeah, I assumed yeah. it was going to be a conjoined twin yeah, that got separated. Like, I right, did separated, not think it would totally. be still attached still to her. Still attached. The literal Gabriel face in her yeah. skull. <laughs> like, I kind of thought, because everyone was like, oh, this movie's crazy. I thought it'd be something like, I thought it'd be one of those things where at the end of the movie, they would sew, it, she would sew, like Gabriel would sew her back to him or something. Right. Like I thought it'd be something like that. 
because um, everyone's like, oh, it's so crazy. But like this is kind of crazier just because it <laughs> is so right. less plausible. Yeah. Uh, in so many ways. But right. Yeah. I I also would highly recommend it if like I like to think that if you listen to a movie podcast, you're the type of person who watches quite a few movies. So just the sheer fact that something is so unique will make it stand out. And I'll, hopefully if you've listened this far, you've already seen it. Cause I would, I, uh, what part of the waste. joy, part of the what joy waste, is man. just sort of, you're <laughs> along for the ride. Yeah. But I definitely think if you, I definitely think this is a great movie night movie. And I think like oh, for yeah. me, like just there's something like, I, I like to think there's this maturing process as a film viewer where like, when you're young, you just like whatever movie gets put on, you like big blockbuster movies. And then everyone mm-hmm. goes to this phase of 15, 16, maybe even in college where they're like, oh, I watch real cinema. So they yeah. try and watch artsy fartsy movies and watch independent films and they watch all the movies that get nominated for boards and stuff. And you get frustrated that people only watch Marvel movies and you have nobody to talk to about your movies. Yeah. And you're like, oh, like, why are you watching every superhero movie is the same, you know, whatever. But then like you get to this point where you even go further, where you realize part of the movies are fun movies are joyful yeah. there there's yeah. something really amazing about them and there's something unique about them where you just appreciate something that really takes risks and does something weird and different and like you get the sense that the guy behind the camera is just laughing the whole time because he loves the movie he's making and mm-hmm. malignant does feel like that where it's this thing where a guy got to make his weirdo vision come to life and it's fun he got to take a lot of rich people's money to do this (laughs) which is is awesome (laughs) you know and yeah it's it's a little campy it's a little silly and if you don't like i wouldn't say it's graphic but it is gory so if that's not your thing there are a couple scenes where it is gory so it's like it's not that gory it really isn't really it's it's that it's women being ripped apart that makes it i think most egregious to people i yeah it's the nature of the killing maybe but like yeah it's not graphic like it's not it's not gross you're not gonna throw up watching or anything i just like but if you're the type of person where like you like action you like thrills and chills and you'll you know take the whole family to see it you know that's <laughs> yeah it's it. on hbo max maybe if you have maybe the don't 15 do <laughs> a month tier it's on hbo max for free well, I guess if you're paying $15 a month, it's kind of not free. But like, definitely watch it on HBO Max. Bring, get some friends together. Or go to the laugh. theater. Both. Um, Doesn't matter. Yeah, if you can go to the theater for cheaper, do that. Do both. See it four times. Uh, take your friends. See it again and again. And Or just like, if you have HBO Max, just like keep rewinding the last like, 30 minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And just, yeah, over and over watch again. again? <laughs> yeah. Punches through the person in the prison. Everyone cheers. Yeah. 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 women start to yeah. cry people throw babies in the air it's great i can't wait to see the halloween costumes or cosplays you know this yeah it's it is prime for costumes it is it is it's cool and they had real contortionists come in to do a lot of those those sequences he loves doing that he did the same thing for the crooked man that's like a real contortionist yeah man malignant good movie definitely recommend it definitely a good time and I, like I said, in, in Candyman, like it's nice to just have both where you have your introspective kind of thinking man's movie where you get to sort of think through what the visuals and what are what's the purpose and things like that. And then to have the opposite where it's just like, I just want to have a good time. I want to watch some heads explode. <laughs> I just want to I want to have a good mystery. And arguably, this movie is still in the in the vein of like, 
I don't know, mentally stimulating because it's a mystery film. And I think most horror movies that are mysteries are especially really interesting. And and this one, yeah, you you were trade along with the the all of the evidence is there for you to try to figure out the movie. And they do a lot of good red herrings. So it it's a it is a good time and I can't wait for what James Wan has next. But uh, uh, Dan, what what kind of recommendations do you have for us today? So first off, uh, my commentary Christian book recommendation, I'm going to go a little off uh, the beaten path here and recommend uh, Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. Um, We're going through that right now because we're playing a church retreat. And it's a really good practical look and guide for uh, cultivating a really active and healthy prayer life. Um, so many books, I think, try and give you like tips and tricks, which are, can, can be helpful depending on the type of person you are. But Paul Miller's approach, really what he talks about is the persistence of prayer, how in praying fervently for things, we can sort of see God work and act in our lives. And mm-hmm. it he gets to the heart of part of what makes, I think, prayer uh, a vital part of a Christian life. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. It's not too long. It's a, it's a decently sized book, but the way the way it's formatted, he also weaves in a lot of personal stories oh, cool. and just how prayer has affected his life and the life of his family and like how uh, critically you don't see i think sometimes people have this idea of like a good prayer testimony is i was in a really dire situation and prayed and god instantly saved me from it which is a great testimony but in paul miller's life you see a lot of i prayed for this thing over years and years and i saw god mm-hmm. work through that situation you know so that's cool and it's really good. I highly recommend it. It's been out for about 10, 10 or 11 years now. And they do like, if you're looking for something for your church too, they do like bulk deals and stuff. So oh, nice. Uh, a Praying Life by Paul Miller. Yeah. For my recommendation, I'm going to recommend a game I mentioned actually like an episode or two ago. I had played through the Blair Witch video game that came out ugh, maybe like two years ago, one year ago. And it's made by Bloober Team who did, um, oh man, uh, Layers of Fear, which I know was really popular. Uh. But I really did not like that game. I thought it was boring and I thought it was I have I have several, I think, very valid reasons for thinking it's not a very good game. It may be an interesting thing to walk through, as most walking simulators are. But this Blair Witch uh, helped in me being able to experience one of their games as they become more of a as it becomes more of a game. Um, and so as a game, it's very in- interesting. But as a story, too, it's very good. And. It seems like out of all of the Blair Witch media to come out that apart from the first film, this is sort of like one of the better additions in the franchise. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty cool how it sort of tackled its themes of PTSD and trauma. Um, the protagonist is a war vet and he and his dog go out looking for a missing child in the, in the woods, the epitomous Blair Witch Woods. And uh, you can pet the dog. It's super cool. And uh, the dog mechanics are actually really cool because as you're exploring certain locations, it'll find things for you. You can, um, uh, it'll it'll rec- tell you when there's monsters nearby. So you, it, if it's growling in a certain direction, you can use that to your advantage. It's very fun. Um, and the story itself is pretty good. It's also hard, very hard to get that good ending. You will probably get the bad ending on your first run through, but uh, it is definitely a, a good playthrough, I believe. And so definitely going to do that for my recommendation as we are in the midst of spooky season. Uh, what do you have for our fun recommendation, Dan? Uh, fun's kind of a loose word. Uh, so <laughs> what's your satisfying recommendation? Dan? So I have mentioned I made references to professional wrestling here and there, but um, don't uh, skip forward or stop listening. Uh, Vice, <laughs> Vice TV has an ongoing a documentary series called Dark Side of the Ring, which covers some of the 
I mean, by its name, like the darker stories related to professional wrestling. Professional wrestling is one of the most fascinating and bizarre and strange worlds that exist. Uh, so obviously they have a two-part episode on like the Chris Benoit murder-suicide, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And in fact, there's multiple episodes of Dark Side of the Ring that made me tear up or get emotional for various mm. reasons. And mm-hmm. there's everything from the ridiculous stories, like when the WWE put on a legitimate fighting tournament in the middle of their professional wrestling program, and multiple people got really, really hurt, to uh, really disturbing stories like the recent episode, which is gaining a lot of ways to the cover an incident called The Plane Ride from Hell, where a bunch of wrestlers, the flight got delayed, so they sat on the tarmac drinking for seven hours, and then the flight from Oof. Europe to America got started, and things just got really out of hand. Yikes. So it covers everything from the the basically when Jimmy Snuka murdered his girlfriend and the WWE covered it up, to really fun and wacky stories, to fascinating tales like the saga of uh, Brian Pellman, who just really had a unique life and career. It's really something else, and even if you're not a fan of the quote-unquote sport of professional wrestling, it's a fascinating story. It's a series of stories, I should say. Um, I believe most of it's on Hulu. Uh, the episodes also are just on various places like Vice's app and, and website, so definitely check it out. There's tons of great stuff on there, really interesting stories, and it's a really interesting look at humanity and people and the ways in which fiction and reality kind of blur and blend together. I've been really enjoying it. I've watched every episode so far, and the second half of the third season just started uh, last night as of this recording. So, uh, Dark Side of the Ring. It's just a reminder that I still got to watch uh, You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Still haven't checked that one out. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he pops up in an episode because, yeah, remember I mentioned uh, Nick Gage, MDK guy? <laughs> oh, and, and some kind of content that none of our listens, listeners heard because oh, okay. I thought it was too extreme. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he David Arquette had a death match with him, and he almost died because oh one, of, one of the oh, spots Oh, isn't that the wrong. one with one of the um, uh, the light bulb you were telling me? One of the light bulb uh, uh, Light fights. tube got broken in half, and they he, David Arquette did, did something he wasn't supposed to, so light tube went in his neck. Oof. So. Yeah. Well, isn't that in the movie? Don't they mention that in the movie? It's in or the something? movie, and yeah. it's in an episode of Dark Side of the Ring where they do an episode of Nick Gage. So, yeah, it's very well covered. So, yeah, you cannot kill David Arquette. It's really a fun little documentary. Sounds like a good a good pairing to that then to do Cyber. Yeah, abso- absolutely. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.